All right, we're in Mark chapter number 14, uh, and we've got the fine print tonight, man, I'll tell you. But uh, this, is, <laughs> this is the longest chapter of Mark. It's 72 verses long, so I decided I would just split it perfectly in half. We'll do 36 verses tonight and 36 next week, so we're going to have to go through quite generally uh, here this evening, and not so much in detail, but... Um, we're getting near the end. We've been on this all year with all kinds of other things going on on Wednesday nights, but I hope you've enjoyed the Gospel of Mark that just portrays Christ as the servant, Christ the servant. All right, now we come to chapter 14. We really come to the most important history in the world. Uh, the last three chapters of Mark, the last chapters of any of the Gospels, which have to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing on earth is more important than that. And God has given us such a detailed report about that that you really need to get four Bibles out and uh, have one open to Matthew, one Mark, one Luke, and one John just to figure out what all's going on and where. I've done that myself. It's quite an exhaustive study. But uh, there's nobody that's ever lived on this planet that has had the details of their death, their burial, or their resurrection recorded in, in history form as much as the Lord Jesus, this is what is most important. And so let's get into it. The first two verses, we just simply see the scheme of the chief priests and the scribes. These, uh, this, of course, is the wickedest scheme ever that would affect the most innocent man ever. Nobody has ever been as innocent as Jesus Christ. He was without sin. So verses 1 and 2 says, After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And so they were crowd pleasers uh, and Christ haters. And uh, they began to scheme on how to put him to death. Now, Something interesting in this chapter is even though you read about the very worst of mankind, you read about the best also. And probably the best person on earth at that time was a lady named Mary of Bethany, besides Christ. Uh, she was amazing. And we read her story beginning in verse 3 down through verse number um, 9. Mary of Bethany. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why is this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She is come aforetime to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached... Throughout the whole world, 
This also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. That's what you call a prophecy. And sure enough, here we are in 2022 talking well about Mary of Bethany in Eden, New York. Uh, And all over the world, people have heard the story of this dear lady, Mary of Bethany. There's three stories about her. The one is where she's sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing his words while her sister Martha was cumbered about with much serving. And another is where she's sitting in the house still, Uh, After her brother Lazarus had died, Martha's complaining to Jesus. And uh, Jesus finally calls for Mary. She sits still until she's called for. Then she comes. She begins to cry and to say, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother hath not died. And the Bible says when Jesus saw her tears, he was moved with compassion and said, where have you laid him? And they took him to her brother's uh, sepulcher. And he said, roll away the stone. And Martha tries to interrupt and say, no, don't do that, Lord. He stinks by now. But Jesus said, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God? And I believe it was Mary of Bethany who profoundly affected Christ to say, Lazarus, come forth. And her brother came out alive. That's the second story. And this is the third She is the only one on earth that we know of who believed his word. Uh, Jesus told us specifically why she did what she did in verse 8. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Now to do that, you've got to believe he's going to die. Nobody else, in fact, we're going to see before the end of the chapter that all of his closest followers said, you're not going to die, we're going to fight for you. Uh, They didn't believe all the time that he had said, uh, all those years that he had come to die and be a sacrifice and a substitute for mankind's sin, uh, dying on the cross. But she believed. She believed, and she took what was most expensive to her and gave it to the Lord and specifically anointed his body for the burying. She believed what he said about his death. She was the only one that did. And uh, she took an alabaster box of ointment, a spikenard, very precious, break the box and poured it on his head. And who knows, maybe a few days later when he's on the cross, that smell still permeated his skin. We don't know. Now they had a lot of indignation within themselves, these shallow men that were there. And they said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Nothing we give to the Lord is a waste. Now, this question was specifically asked by Judas Iscariot as you read the account in John chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. Uh, Judas Iscariot said, why was this waste made? In verse 6 of John 12, it says, not because he uh, cared uh, about the poor. Uh, He said, you know, we could have taken this money and given it to the poor. It says, not that he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief And he held the bag. Let us not forget exactly what we're talking about here. Her ointment was worth 300 pence. Uh, Verse number 5 tells us, A pence was a day's wages. 300 days wages, if you take the Sabbaths off and add them to that, being 360 days in a Jewish calendar, 
This was an entire year's wages. This was an entire year's wages, 300 pence that she took and just poured it on Jesus Christ. And all the men were shocked, but Judas Iscariot was the spokesman and said, what would you waste that for? And it wasn't wasted. It has challenged believers for 2,000 years to give their best to the Lord, to give their all to the Lord, to give whatever they can when they can to the Lord. And Jesus honored her in time memorial by saying in verse 8, she had done what she could. That's all God asks of us. Do what you can. Do what you can. She had done what she could. She is come beforehand to anoint my body for the bearing. She believes everything I have preached that I'm going to die. She knows I'm going to die in a few days. And I promise you, wherever the gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, and it has been, this also that she hath done will be spoken of as a memorial of her. And so we still memorialize Mary of Bethany. But isn't life strange that in the same room where you have the two best human beings on earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, bar none, and Mary of Bethany, in the same room is the worst person on earth. And verse 10 says, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray unto him when they heard it, they were glad, and he promised to give, they, and promised to give him money, and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. I just mentioned in John chapter number twelve and verse five. Uh, or, or, sorry, in, in, in um, not John chapter twelve, um, Matthew chapter twenty-six, verses fifteen. He got thirty pieces of silver for Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. Uh, And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So we have the betrayer, Judas Iscariot, a man who had a devil, was possessed of a devil, and he's in the same room as the best people on earth. That's how life is. That's how life is. You know, when you go to work every day, uh, maybe some of the best people on earth work with you, and maybe some of the worst. When you go to school, some of the best people on earth might be there with you. Know the Lord and some of the worst. Ty was talking about Arkansas and how he met so many believers in Christ at the soul winning booth there at the state fair in Little Rock. But he also met others who were just horrible sinners and wanted nothing to do whatsoever with the display or tracks, literature or anything. That's how life is. Maybe even in your own family, you've got some of the best people on earth, some of the worst people on earth. And that's just how it's going to be until time memorial for all of us. And um, here's Judas Iscariot. And uh, he goes out to betray the Lord. Now we see an interesting uh, little prophecy made and fulfilled in verses 12 and 6 through 16. Don't just take these lightly. This is... This is still prophecy. This is still the Lord showing us that even His Word for this day is enough to follow. Sometimes we want to know the Lord's Word for our life in general or for the big decisions, but even the little details of a particular day, uh, we can receive uh, instructions from the Lord. And so let's read in verse 12. 
And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Now notice this, this is just as much of a prophecy as anything else of the great prophecies. The seven major prophecies in the New Testament, Christ spoke five of them. But this is also a prophecy. He says this, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room, upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And uh, his disciples went forth and came into the city, and notice these words, and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. There's quite a few details in this prophecy uh, about the, the upper room and the place prepared, and you're going to go in, the city, a guy's going to be carrying a pitcher of water, which, you know, from what I understand about the traditions of the day, was extremely rare. That was a woman's job to lug the water uh, for her family every day. And um, it was very rare to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. So that would be an easy thing to follow. There's a guy with a bottle of water on. Follow that guy. That must be him. Uh, if, If he had said follow a woman that's bearing a pitcher of water, they may have been going off in all kinds of directions. Who knows? Here's a man. Jesus, by his omniscience, uh, says these details. And so prophecies don't have to be just just real big things for the future, but day by day the Lord can lead us uh, in our lives if we will follow Him and be in tune to the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard His voice, right? My sheep hear My voice and I know them and I give unto them eternal life. You heard Him speak to you at salvation. We should hear Him speak to us at other times. Uh, during the day and say, do this, do this, or don't do that, or go help this person or something and, and be in tune to the voice of Jesus. So Jesus knows about the immediate day-by-day events of our lives and the future as well, and we need to be more in tune to the details. Now we see the betrayer again in verses 17 through 21, and in the evening he cometh with the twelve, and as he sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the sap by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, good were it for that man if he had never been born. And so we hear the, here we see the, the uh, betrayer, uh, Judas Iscariot, in the evening. Uh, one of the accounts says, and he went out and it was night. Boy, it sure was. It was the darkest night of his life. One of you which eateth with me betrayeth with me shall betray me and and every one of them as we have observed many times in verse 19 
thought within them the capacity of betraying the Lord. And they all said, is it I? Is it I? Not one of them said, oh, it's Judas Iscariot for sure. That's quite obvious. Nope, not one of them. And that's the thing about the devil and his agents, his false prophets. They're described as wolves in sheep's clothing. I mean, they look just like us. And boy, you got to be pretty tuned to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit to be able to pick some of this out. And sometimes you can't. I mean, three years, none of these guys could pick him out. Not one. He was a thief. He held the bag. He had the devil in him. And it's because the devil's in somebody doesn't mean that they're going to act crazy and be foaming at the mouth and cutting themselves and all that. No, no. They might be the best dressed man in town, uh, standing in a pulpit somewhere in a church. Um, it has the devil in them. Uh, and so, imagine what they thought here. Is it I? Is it I? They, they began to be sorrowful. You know, and Peter said, is it me? Andrew said, is it me? Bartholomew said, is it me? James, John, those other guys. You talking about me? Am I going to betray you? Not one of them thought it was Judas. And he told them who it would be. He dipped in the dish with him. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him. In other words, prophecy says, I have to go, I have to die. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good word for that man if he had never been born. You know, it was written of him too in the Old Testament. It was written of Christ's death. It was written of Judas Iscariot. But I want you to notice that Judas Iscariot also had a free will. Uh, He wasn't forced to do that. In fact, when he repented himself, he didn't repent toward God. His words were this in Matthew 27, verse 5, And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But prior to that, in verse 4, he said, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. He put the responsibility on himself, not on prophecy. And so the, the, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man is a very difficult thing for us to understand. To be honest with you, I can't explain it. Uh, I'm just going to let God be God. And uh, maybe someday, by and by, we'll understand it. Paul couldn't understand it. And uh, I'm certainly no uh, better than Paul. Uh, When he wrote about that subject of things like foreknowledge and predestination and election and all that kind of stuff in Romans 9 and 10, we we can't stick our heads in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist. But his conclusion in Romans 11 and... um, Verse uh, number 33 was, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. So that's kind of how he concluded his discourse on uh, the providence of God. And uh, was... His ways are past finding out. Now, Paul, if that's his conclusion, then I'm not going to try to pretend like I can explain it. Uh, Sometimes people will annoy you because they think they can explain some of this stuff, and they can't. 
uh, just remember, uh, Judas Iscariot said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. This is on me. And he went out and hung himself. Killed himself. He had a free will. He had a free will. Now the Lord's Supper is instituted in verses 22 through 26. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so, we have the institution of the Lord's Supper, and most of you know that, that the, the bread is a, a memorial of His body broken for us, the cup of His blood that would be shed for us. But I love what He says here in verse 35, it's prophecy. It's kind of indirect prophecy, but He says, Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it with drink it new in the kingdom of God. Uh, it sounds to me like he's talking about his resurrection. Uh, he's, you know, he's basically saying they're going to kill me tomorrow, but I'm going to drink it again with you in the kingdom of God. Don't worry about that. We'll see each other again. And uh, so that is a prophecy of uh, his uh, resurrection uh, right there. Um, and that's why he folded that napkin. Remember, he said, he's got, I'm going to eat bread with you in another narrative and I'm going to drink with you in the kingdom of God. And so when he took the napkin off of his head when he rose from the grave in the tomb, he folded it in such a way that he laid it down that any Jew would see that napkin and he would know that it meant uh, he's not done eating yet. He's not done eating yet. And that's the way they had the custom with the napkins. Uh, If they were at a large table or a big feast and there were servants waiting on them, and they came by a spot where there was a napkin folded in a certain way, uh, they would know that the person who had left the feast for whatever reason was coming back to eat more. So don't touch my plate. Okay? And uh, John, who uh, was always so close to Jesus, when he walked into the tomb that day and saw that napkin folded in such a way, He probably remembered the words of Christ. Don't worry, we're going to eat bread and drink again new in the the kingdom. Um, And so, uh, as soon as John saw that, it says he believed. He believed because of a napkin and the message that it told that Jesus was risen again. And uh, they would get together again. And they did. And just a few days later, they would be eating, uh, you know, fish and... uh, Together, or that night rather, uh, three nights later rather. Uh, no, that night when he went in the tomb, they would uh, uh, see him eating and then they would have eat with him again. And will forever. So if you like to eat, you want to go to heaven, you want to make sure you're saved. Okay? If you don't like eating and you don't like water, you want to go to hell then. Because you don't even get a drop there. Can you imagine that? What a horror. What a horror that would be. Uh, to die without Christ as your Savior. But uh, we've got to finish up here. Here we have uh, the, the denial 
uh, and the scattering of the sheep now in verses 27 through 33. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. That's written in Zechariah 13 and verse number 7. But after that I am risen. Boy, he just spoke so openly about that, didn't he? But after that I am risen. Um, I will go before you into Galilee. And so the resurrection here is guaranteed. This is one of the so many claims of Christ. There's over 199 claims of Christ in just the Gospel of John alone that nobody else ever made. And here's another one. Uh, Nobody's ever said this before. But after that I am risen, I'll go before you into Galilee. No one's ever said that. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this day, even in this night before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently. That's it, just say it a little louder, you know. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all, the other ten, so they're not like Mary of Bethany, who we learned earlier, uh, who, who just resigned to the fact that her Savior was going to die. And so let me do what I can for him before he dies. Let me take my ointment uh, and, and give it to Christ while I have the chance. Let me give to Christ what I can. So she believed these guys didn't. And they were, they were with him all these years. And he's been saying it over and over and over again. And he even said it right here. Uh, you know, he just, just, just talked about his resurrection from the dead. But, uh, now turn over. Spurgeon's got some uh, thoughts on verses 29 and 31. Spurgeon says on uh, 29, There was love in that utterance, and so far it was commendable. But there was also much self-trust in it. This is Peter's declaration. And there was great presumption, for Peter dared even to contradict his master to his face. And at the same time, he contradicted the inspired scripture, as we mentioned, Zechariah 13, 7. For Jesus had told the disciples that it was written that the sheep should, would be scattered. Yet Peter boldly denied both what God had written and what Christ had said. God save us from such a proud, self-confident spirit as that. All right? And no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been in Christ, don't ever say things like, oh, I'd never do that. Don't ever say that. Ever. I don't care who you are. Or my kids would never do that. Don't ever say that stuff. Don't ever say that stuff. We have an adversary who's listening for that stuff. And I think he says, oh, yeah? I'm going to make that a special pet project. Uh, don't say don't don't talk like Peter here and the others. Verse thirty one. Peter is not alone in his intense though rash expression of attachment. All of them did intend to stand with their master and die with him, as we too mean to do. <coughs> but do we think we will carry it out any better than they? Not if our resolve like theirs is made in our own strength. Further. 
Whenever a person who is called to be a leader goes astray, others are pretty sure to follow. It was so on this occasion. For when Peter made his boastful speech, all the rest of his brothers chimed in and so shared in his sin. But Peter was chief in the wrongdoing, for he led them all. Well, there's some good observations there from Spurgeon. Well, let's finish up in Gethsemane, verses 32 through 36. And they came to a place which is called, or which is named Gethsemane. And that's only one of two places the word appears in the Bible. It means an oil press. An oil press. The Garden of Gethsemane was located on the Mount of Olives. And so they put a press there to press olives and make olive oil. And uh, there was a uh, a place, so they called it Gethsemane, that's what that means. As he saith to his disciples, sit, and he saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh them, Peter and James and John, who had a few incidences in the last three years where they, they were specially privy uh, to uh, Christ, and others were not. Uh, one was on the Mount of Transformation, and another was the uh, the uh, uh, resurrection of uh, I forgot who it was, but they had they had some special times. Peter, James, and John, and later in Galatians, they would be called the pillars of the church, pillars of the church. And so he invested in them, and twenty years later, they were still pillars of the church, and. There are some very good men that you might know that seem to be special. And we should really, really uh, invest in them. And he began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. I tried to look into that word sore amazed and it's beyond our comprehension. How Christ began to feel at this time in the Mount of Gethsemane. I would fail to express the excruciating sorrow of his soul that he was going to take upon his body the sin of all the world because for eternity past he had no beginning Jesus has been holy without sin but he who knew no sin was made sin for us not just some sin or your sin or mine but the sin of the whole world would be put on him and it finally came to that moment and he began to be sore amazed this, this word denotes horror. This word denotes terror. I tried to look into it, but I don't think we humans can really explain possibly what Christ was going through at this time for us. And to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry here and watch. And so his soul was exceeding sorrow unto death. And so he begins to pray that the Lord would take this cup from him, uh, but he submitted himself to the will of God. And uh, I, don't, I don't know or think he had any fears, but I think the, 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 the cup, the burden that he was going to carry could have crushed him and killed him there in the garden. And he wanted God's strength, and an angel came from heaven and ministered to him, and he was able to have the strength to go off into prison that night and then onto the cross the next day and he went a little far forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him if he could just avoid this part but he couldn't 
And he said, Abba, and you know that's the most intimate word for father that a human being can possibly utter. It's repeated two other times in scriptures, Romans 8.15 and Galatians 4 verse 6 is a word we can use too. It's that intimate word that uh, if you see, maybe you see your dad and you haven't seen him in a while, Dad! It's that intimate word. Daddy! Little kids. Daddy's home. Some of you have experienced that. You you get home from work and Daddy's home. That's Abba. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And the Father willed it, that his Son would die to be the Savior of the world. We should think about these things more, about Christ. Not just Calvary. I mean, that's what he went through there. Not just before Pilate is suffering, but also in Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, Christ suffered for us there in his soul. Another text said, My spirit is exceeding troubled. You're only made of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus suffered in all three for us, for you, for me. And uh, so we should uh, thank the Lord. Well, we'll finish up this chapter next week a lot there. Just stuff that should just touch our hearts and, and uh, affect us. Uh, so let's just pray and we're going to just sing a song uh, as we dismiss. Um, we could sing uh, Near the Cross, maybe if you could find that. Our Father, we thank you for Bible study tonight. and Thank you for Mary of Bethany and, and may she in this month of stewardship Uh, the memorial spoken of her all around the world challenge us to give our best for our Lord while we can as she did and not to esteem it a waste uh, for nothing that is given to Christ is ever wasted even a boy would give a lunch one time and feeds 5,000 people men and women and children beside Lord help us to be givers increase our faith Help us also not to be presumptuous like these disciples who said, I'll never fall, I'll never do this, I'll never do that, I'll never deny you. And Lord, forgive us for any self-confidence. And Lord, we, we thank you for your sufferings in Gethsemane, in your soul, the sufferings you bore for us in your spirit, and the sufferings you bore for us in your body on the cross at Calvary. We love you tonight, Lord Jesus. We haven't seen you yet, but we just want to say thank you for all you've done for us. And uh, bless the word to our hearts now, and as we dismiss in Jesus' name, amen. 515, let's sing a verse or two of that before we leave tonight. Appreciate your attendance, as always, for Bible study.